Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. It is Friday, April 30th, the last day of the month. The day after the first round of the NFL draft happened, Gamecocks put another one in the first round for the third straight year. We'll talk about that. Also going to talk about Darius Rucker a little bit um, from the world of total overreaction. I think <laughs> we're going to have another conversation about that. Um, getting to your mailbag questions, Gamecocks have a quarterback target that's going to announce today. It, it's sort of a mysterious thing uh, right now because there's no crystal ball projections in for Braden Davis. Uh, and so you just, uh, you know, people feel good about it, but um, there is a, a who knows out there. And it's, another, it's it's weird. And that's our first topic today. Braden Davis will be announcing, I think, this evening uh, around 6.30. Um there's the, the there's not like a second school that you go, oh well that's it. I mean, is it West Virginia? He's talked highly about West Virginia. Could it be Georgia Tech? Uh, could it be Stanford? Usually Stanford doesn't take commitments from kids this early. Uh, who else has been recruiting recruiting him as hard as the Gamecocks? You, know, you look at his social media and he's followed the whole team and, and program and all that, but you can't really use that as a source because that's not, you know, that, that, that's kind of a, in the roadmap of trying to figure out where kids are going to school, which gets trickier and trickier. That that's kind of just one piece of data that you can use. That's not definitive. Um, you know, I, I think Hale McGranahan may eventually put in a crystal ball, but you know, after what happened with Tanner Bailey uh, and then, you know, he visits Oregon. We're very clear that Oregon had took the lead because we're reporting, uh, you know, and then Hale and everybody, we all get like lit up by idiots on social media about it, you know, about the crystal ball and all that. So I don't blame him and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to put in a crystal ball. Um, if I don't know, know for sure. Uh, and, and I'm sorry because I think, unfortunately, certain people ruined the fun. Uh, out of things and, and certain people don't understand the crystal ball. Um, you know, I, I'm just not going to do it. I mean, I, I don't, I don't need, you know, somebody that that's on Twitter that that's not even someone that's a member of my site, you know, sitting there trashing me and my staff, you know, based on the decision of an 18 year old uh, when our sources are, are, are telling us one thing and we're just following the report, you know, especially with the way the Bailey thing went down. I mean, uh, it's not like he came back from Oregon and Oregon was trending and we just ignored it, you know, and said, no, he's coming to Carolina. I mean, I, I, I just, uh, I don't know. You know, some of this stuff wears on me sometimes and I'm not, be, I'm not being thin skinned. I'm just saying, you know, I don't need it. <laughs> I can do my job without the crystal crystal ball is not even a, a VIP product. It makes me no money. So um, I don't have to do it. You know, of course, this podcast is free, but uh, I enjoy doing this and, and talking to you guys uh, each and every episode. And uh, we'll see what happens with Braden Davis. Now, uh, let, let's say the Gamecocks get him. Um, and that's a quarterback that's uh, another guy from Delaware. And so that's a pretty good good deal there. Uh, a quarterback that's a four-star prospect, the number five dual threat prospect in the country the number one player in Delaware for Middletown, Delaware. He's 6'5". He's 195 pounds. He runs 4'6". Uh, got a good, you know, the, the arm talent is there. You know, is a bit raw. Uh, but his dad played at college football, major college football at Tennessee. His dad's Antoine Davis. Uh, and he's a top 200 prospect nationally per 24-7 sports composite. Uh, so let's, let's just say they get him. Um, Someone go to the class calculator here. Because uh, we we all kind of are interested in, in the team ranking. Everybody talks about that all the time. Uh, and Carolina, you know, the first two players in this class are pretty good players. You know, you got uh, Anthony Rose, uh, borderline five-star prospect. And then, I'm sorry, four-star prospect. And then Grayson Maines, 
who's a big, tough, athletic offensive lineman out of the state of Georgia. I'll talk a little bit about, you know, recruiting in the state of Georgia here in a minute with some NFL draft data. So, so they get, they get Braden Davis. That's, that's a 57.44 uh, number wise. Let's see how much that moves them up. They'll move up to around, well, they'll, they'll still be behind coastal Carolina in the team rankings per the algorithm, but they'll move up ahead of Northwestern, Auburn, Tennessee, Iowa, um, you know, some schools and with only three commitments, that's not bad. I mean, uh, right now at this point, you just kind of looking at, at the numbers. Clemson's 25th. Uh, just to give you an example, you know, they're not going to finish 25th, uh, but they only have four commits right now. So a lot of us, the numbers, I mean, and you look kind of up here, Boston College is 16th right now, but they have 10 commits. Mississippi State is 13th with nine. Oklahoma State's 12th with eight. Um, you want to know a good class right now? Florida State. They only have four, but they're 10th. Um, you know, that's a that's that's a really good – I'm sorry. They only have four three-star. Uh, quite, Alexa. Florida State has eight. I apologize for that. I'm looking at uh, – I'm looking at some other numbers. Mississippi State, Oklahoma State have 10. Okay, Kentucky's 11th with nine. Um, there's really – Alabama's the highest-ranked team with the lowest number of commits with six, and they're 15th. So, you know, what you want to do is, is be trending upward. Um, you know, I, I, I think that getting a top 25 class is within range. Uh, I think when you're just talking about the numbers, Braden Davis is a guy that could – really help boost that. Uh, like, you know, just like Keenan Nelson, the four-star corner from Philadelphia, who will make an official visit. Uh, just like Sam McCall, the five-star athlete out of Florida, who's committed to Florida State, but he's decommitted a couple times. He's from Lakeland. He's visiting with his teammates. Torian Gray, definite, definitely big inroads down in Lakeland, Florida. Uh, just like that, you know, if, if they can get Jalen Sneed, Doubtful they will just because of the situation at Hilton Head High School. Um, that's another big-time guy, Antonio Williams, the receiver from right there in the backyard at Dutch Forks, a four-star guy. Uh, they've got a four-star running back from Virginia coming in. So so it's – you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're one of these folks that just looks at stars and, and look, I'm, I'm saying, you know, the, you got to look at who they've got because I've seen some classes – at South Carolina and otherwise where, you know, they're ranked pretty high because the numbers, but you're kind of like, eh, it's iffy. And I've seen some lower ranked classes where it's like different. And, and I, and we talked about that 70 something ranking this past cycle because Carolina went heavy in the portal. Um, and I don't think anybody did a very good job of evaluating transfer players. I, I think they just kind of reverted to the high school ranking and then adjusted and to transition a little bit here. And uh, again, Braden Davis announcement tonight. Uh, let, let's look at the NFL draft at Okay. Let, let's go to the tape. Um, JC Horn. Congratulations to him. He's the third consecutive South Carolina Gamecock to be taken in the first round of the NFL draft. Uh, the Carolina Panthers took him. So he'll be close to home. And I know, Many of you out there are Panthers fans. Uh, I, I'm not because um, I grew up, you know, pulling for the Falcons. And so when the, the Panthers came along, like when I was in high school, and, and I always want them to do well. I mean, I don't, you know, if it's the Carolina Panthers and, and who – when it was the Panthers and the Broncos in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, or the Panthers and the, and the um, you know, Patriots that year in the Super Bowl, I was pulling for the Panthers, no doubt. But, you know, the Falcons are kind of my team. And, you know, then I sort of adopted the Bears when I'm up in Chicago. And, and they made a good trade yesterday. Uh, the Windy City is, is alive with the, Justin, with the Justin Fields love. And I thought it was a good, good move, too, because that franchise on offense, they just need some exciting players offensively. It's, it's been, you know, they're the same old Bears, you know, every year. So that's maybe something that'll help. Um, but, you know, uh, J.C. Horn going to the Panthers is a good thing. I mean, he's right there, stays in his general area. You know, he was in Georgia, grew up in Georgia. Uh, actually from Mississippi originally, but 
played high school ball, spent some time in his life in Georgia and Atlanta. Then he's uh, over to Columbia and now he's up to Charlotte. So he's kind of gets to stay home. You know, some, I was thinking about some of these guys that like got drafted by Cleveland, um, you know, and, and I started thinking about Justin Fields too. And had he not been at Ohio state, I was like, boy, going from Georgia to Ohio or to, to Chicago, that's going to be sort of a, uh, a culture shock. Uh, but think about some of these guys that, you know, have to go here, there, and yonder. I think it's good for JC to be at home. And certainly uh, I think it looks good for the Gamecocks. Uh, you know, one, once a guy leaves, even if you're disappointed that he left, and, and I don't think – I think it was a foregone conclusion he was leaving after this season, regardless of your opinion about him opting out or not. Uh, I think once stuff like that's done and settled, then that's over. And, and you move forward and you want that guy to be the best he possibly can be because it makes your school look good. Kids talk about wins and losses and championships, uh, uh, and that matters. Winning matters. Don't get me wrong. But it matters a whole hell of a lot more to fans than it does to recruits, okay? Uh, you know, a lot of times th- th- there's this notion that if you're going up against a school as for a recruit and you beat them that you're going to get – get the guy but no that's not uh it's not always how it works um what does move the needle uh maybe more than anything putting players in the nfl uh you know alabama you know the proof is in the pudding when you look at their six first round draft picks yesterday and you know everybody from three-star mac jones to five-star patrick certain and five-star alex leatherwood went in the first round and that's just that's why Alabama's great. Jalen Waddle, first round. Devontae Smith, first round. Um, so that moves the needle. I mean, that's 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 uh, the draft. Uh, I actually, even if you're as a fan, yeah, I think you kind of just look at it and go, "Oh, well, that's good." You know, it's nothing like game day. But as a recruit, from that standpoint, that matters. That matters. And shout out to the Gamecocks social media department and all that for really making a big deal out of out of Horn going and. You know, there's more to come with this draft. I think, you know, who should the next Gamecock off the board be? I, in my opinion, I think it should be Sedarius Hutcherson. Um, I, I think of all the guys on the roster, if you want a guy that's kind of a no-brainer, that, that can start at guard for you, that can play right tackle in a pinch, probably can play center, super athletic, overachiever, hard worker, uh, all that good stuff. I, I think it's Sedarius Hutcherson. And, and I think, you know, unfortunately, he just – he hasn't been up high on, on many draft boards. But last night I noticed that there were some guys picked that I, I didn't see on any draft boards. <laughs> uh, First-round projections, you know, namely um, the linebacker from Kentucky that uh, was from the state of Georgia. So, uh, you know, he kind of – I mean, maybe I missed it. Maybe I'm just, you know, not correct by that. But uh, – I missed it. But simply that, who will it be? Take your pick. Ernest Jones, Shai Smith, Izzy McQuamu. Now, of those three, you know, Jones is the one that that kind of snuck into the second round of some mocks. And Shai has kind of been in that third, fourth round range. Uh, and then Izzy sort of a wild card because he's a he's an upside guy, obviously. I don't think anybody's – if they watch his game tape, is going to be completely blown away. But I think he's got enough of that. Well, he can be a freak for us if he just uh, to, to get drafted. I just don't know when. You know, some franchise they probably have varying opinions on him because it's not as cut and dry. With well, Shy Smith, you know, fast slot receiver, great hands, good route runner, explosive guy. Um, probably, in my opinion, Shy can probably play a while uh, in the league. Um, and then with Ernest Jones, you know, classic Mike linebacker, smart, athletic, he'll hit you. Um, you know, Izzy's just a little – he's like a different type of projection. Uh, it's a high high ceiling, low uh, – high, high ceiling, low floor kind of deal, whereas, you know, Shy and Jones to me are higher floors because they kind of just are what they are. Uh, and, and I still don't think we know exactly the whole football world, fans included, know exactly what Izzy McQuamu can be, um, good or bad good or bad. Um, I go back in it and I, I, he may should have played wide receiver looking at some of those interceptions he made against Georgia and his hands and, and his build and all that. But anyway, 
we'll see what happens with that. But th- those are the guys kind of in the mix to be drafted. Um, not sure about anybody else, but that's the deal there. All right, Darius Rucker. All right, so last night, Darius goes um, and uh, to the Trevor Lawrence's draft party in Seneca, South Carolina. Dabo's there. Clemson people are there. Trevor's there. And the reason was Darius Rucker, who's arguably the most famous Gamecock fan on the planet, um, is part of a management group that signed Trevor Lawrence, which is awesome because, you know, if you're part of a management group that signs the number one pick in the draft, that's pretty awesome, right? Darius is a uh, Grammy award-winning country music artist and the founder of Hootie and the Blowfish. And, you know, he's a, he's a big time celebrity. Uh, and his audience is not just limited to university of South Carolina fans. You know, I, I think that right now, let's say I had a side hustle of an agency. I wouldn't because the people that kind of gravitate toward that either need to be celebrities and rich like Darius, or they got to kind of have a little, I mean, I don't know. I don't like, uh, I don't like taking people's money just to be me. <laughs> How about that? I, I like to give, you know, consumers things. Uh, and I don't, I think sometimes these agents don't do that, but that, that that's a different discussion. Um, so like somebody like me who like 98% of my audience right now is South Carolina. Um, you know, the other, whatever it's not, it's probably folks that follow me on Twitter when I have the random college football thought, uh, and then the JC and Morgan podcast. Um, so maybe 96 cause JC and Morgan gets a pretty good listen every week. But, uh, you know, somebody like me, like I, I would, if, if I showed up there, you'd be like, what the heck are you doing? You jock sniffer, you know? <laughs> um, and so I get it. I get it, but Darius's audience includes a bunch of fan bases. I mean, you know, you're a mil- you can't afford to be this. Like, it's like some, like Ron White, the comedian, steers clear of being political just because, you know, he's like, my fans are fifty fifty, and you know, I'm not going to alienate them. Um, you know, and and so that's that. You know, and if you're Darius Rucker, you know, you're not trying to alienate a bunch of people by, you know, not going someplace. So, so that's the whole thing. Complete overreaction. Are the optics bad? Yes. Now, should the Clemson football Twitter account have tweeted out a picture of Darius Rucker and ask if he was all in? No, that, that's, that's kind of classless and it misses the moment uh, a little bit. And, you know, it's a rivalry, though, and, and that's that's just kind of how it is. Um, and, and they've gotten the upper hand. Um, if I'm a Gamecock fan, though, number one, I'm looking at it from a business standpoint, and I'm remembering that Nikki Haley came to all kinds of University of South Carolina things when she was governor. I'm using Nikki Haley as an example because I can't think, I mean, are we including Dolph Lundgren as a Clemson graduate? I know he went there. I, mean, I just, you know, I'm a Jane Robolo, um, maybe. Who are some other famous Clemson? Jane Robolo was, uh, you know, she had to talk about the University of South Carolina when she was at WSPA. I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to see famous Clemson alums who are not um, football players. Uh, and this is not a shot at them. I just uh, – I don't know. Okay, Strom Thurmond, famous Clemson alum. He had to – you know, his name's on a building at South Carolina. Uh, Nancy Odell, I don't know exactly what Nancy Odell did and did not do for the Gamecocks. She's kind of like a Jane Robolo. Um, You know, celebrities. John – I didn't know John Edwards went to Clemson, did he? All right, so Dolph Lundgren's number two. So I, I get it. I said, Dolph, James Dickey. James Dickey uh, is a Clemson graduate and, and or something. That's not true, is it? I thought he was Carolina. This this list sucks. Um, anyway, so, so look, man, I, I'm just, <laughs> you know, I'll go back to the Nikki Haley thing. Okay, Nikki Haley came to plenty of things at South Carolina, sat in the governor's box. 
women's basketball games, all that. Uh, High-profile Clemson alum, you know, and, and, and so I'm looking at it as business. So that's number one. Number two, as a Gamecock fan, is this not a cause for celebration that Trevor Lawrence will never suit up for them again? <laughs> I mean, heck, I mean, look, that kid was good. He was everything everybody thought he would be, you know, uh, and then some. So should you not, even if, you know, Darius is there just celebrating, should you not be happy? You don't have to play him again? I know I'd be. You know, Trevor Lawrence is good. I mean, he Trevor Lawrence is the type of player that you you can have something completely covered, uh, and he gets time and buys time, and then fires a strike down the field. And you can't do anything about it. Um, you know, great quarterback, just like Deshaun Watson was, but different kind of guy. You know, different. I mean, Deshaun wasn't. I mean, Trevor's just kind of a freak, and so you know th- that would be what I would pass. I'd leave Darius alone. I mean, I'm sure he sees the social media out, outrage or whatever, and he may say something, may not. But, I mean, number one, it was all business. Clemson alums have had business dealings with South Carolina. I've, I'll go Strom Thurmond and uh, Nikki Haley for you since everybody knows who they are. I don't know about Dolph Lundgren now. Okay, Dolph Lundgren, I don't know. I must break you. Uh, but, uh, you know, everybody else, I mean, it, 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 when you get in the business, you have to deal with, you know, the other side, it's business money's green, not orange and purple, not garnet and black. Uh, and so I think people just need to get off of Darius and, and look, you want to channel some anger about that situation somewhere, channel it towards the Clemson football Twitter account who stirred the pot because they, they actually stirred the pot, you know? And then there's nothing you can do about that Twitter account and them stirring the pot uh, until the football team gets better and can beat them. You know, that's that's how you shut somebody up is you beat them. So, but uh, anyway, so that's what happened. And uh, that's my spiel on Darius. Look, it's business. Uh, It's not like South Carolina people or Clemson people never have anything to do with South Carolina people in business. Um, you should be happy Trevor Lawrence isn't playing for them anymore. I wish him the best with the Jags, um, who also took Travis Etienne. You'd be happy he's not playing for them anymore, too. Uh, and move on. I mean, you know, Darius Rucker is an outstanding Gamecock. Um, and <clears throat> I think that's a stupid, stupid, stupid reason to eat your own um, and to just go off, no matter how uncomfortable it may have made you feel. You know, because I, I understand that it's it's a little jarring, but you know, let's focus your your anger towards something else. Um, and again, it was just like the Luke Doty overreaction from the spring game. I was just disappointed. I mean, I'm like, I can't believe you know the fan base has come to this. You know, in in certain ways. Now, maybe it's not all of you. Uh, I know it's not all of you, but it's a very vocal minority out there on not just the big spur. I'm not just – I don't say anything about the fans based only on what my members say because it's that, it's other websites, it's Facebook and Twitter. You um, you, you really, you know, have to monitor all of that when you're in my position because you want to know how people feel and all that good stuff. So it's – um. It's one of those things. It's just one of those things. It's uh, it, it's it's uh, it's disappointing. I, I think. Um, and you know what's going to solve some of this disappointment, folks? Winning in football again. <laughs> that that's what's going to solve it, uh, I think, and uh, maybe only that. But I'm going to continue to say and call call things out that are ridiculous. I mean, it, it's just the anger, you know. Keith calls them the angry birds, like the video game on um, on the website. You know, angry birds they get uh, they get really ticked off um, about nothing a lot of the times. And I think the Darius Rucker thing's nothing. In a, in a night where you know, if you're a Gamecock fan, you should be excited about 
Um, J.C. Horn going in the first round, the third straight first round pick for South Carolina. Be excited about getting a quarterback commit possibly today. You should be excited about some of the good things you saw in the spring game. Uh, it's all Luke Doty's terrible and Darius Rucker's a traitor. I mean, come on, man. Come on. And that's not all of you. It's not all of you. Interesting NFL draft notes from last night. Um, South Carolina was one of uh, five schools, five different schools that put players from the state of Georgia, six different schools, in the first round. This is very interesting because Georgia has become the number one supplier, I guess, of SEC football talent. Uh, there's more Georgia kids that sign with SEC schools than any other state, including Florida and Texas. Um, any other SEC state, yeah. And six players. Georgia led the whole country with six players going in the first round. Only one of them, Eric Stokes, went to the University of Georgia, and he's, he was a three-star kid. As we remember correctly, Georgia signed the number one class in the country in 2018. Uh, and I told some people at the time, because that was the one year Alabama did not finish number one. And so there, were, I was on the radio in Tuscaloosa, and there was all this panic. That was, this, was, this was the first year of the early signing, and it, it sort of caught Saban a little bit off guard. So, you know, you had Georgia one, Ohio State two, Texas three that year. Southern Cal four. I mean, what are those two schools? Bama five. Okay. So, so let's look at, at this Bama class in 2022 or 2018, which was fifth compared to Georgia's number one. Uh, all right. I'm seeing Patrick Sertain. I'm seeing Jalen Waddle. They both went in the first round. Um, I'm looking down here uh, toward the bottom. You know, Savion Smith played good. Christian Barmore. Uh, was part of this class. He did not go in the first round. He is going to go really soon, you know, really soon. That's also the year they took Jalen Moody out of Conway late, and, you know, that kid's going to be pretty good, you know, when all said and done down there from what I hear. Maybe maybe not a superstar, but he's going to play. Uh, and EIB Anoma uh, was the number one player in that class uh, from, you know, St. Francis in Baltimore, and he ended up transferring twice. Uh, so even their so their number one guy isn't even part of their class anymore. Neither 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 is the one at Georgia. But you know, still they're outproducing that number one class Georgia had, which I told everybody they were. You know, everybody freaked out. Georgia's got the number one class. Oh, oh my God. Uh, and Georgia's number one right now in the rankings, too, by the way. So Georgia took 26 guys. So Justin Fields is gone. He was a five-star in that class. Zamir White, <clears throat> going to be their starter, going to have a, probably a good year this year. Is he a five-star player so far? I don't know. Jamari Saylor's got his senior year. He started on the O-line for three years. Good player. Is he a five-star? I don't know. Um, Tyson Campbell is another player that, uh, you know, five-star guy, just don't know, you know, just don't know, you know. <laughs> you, know I, uh, you know, we'll see where he goes. Uh, you know, maybe he's good enough. Um, I think he's projected second round of the Cowboys. Um, and then, you know, so, so they're going to have some draft picks here. You know, Cade Mays is no longer there. Brenton Cox, no longer there. That's another five-star. So, of these one, two, three, four, five, six, seven five-stars they signed, Cox went to Florida. Mays went to Tennessee. Adam Anderson's still there. I like him. Tyson Campbell's in the draft this year, second-rounder. Uh, Jamari Saylor's still there. Zamir White's still there. And they're starters, but probably, you know, are they going to be first-rounders? Maybe. It kind of depends on what they do. I mean, you look down. Um, gosh, one of the guys that was way low, he was behind Channing Tindall 
in this Georgia, the number one Georgia class, uh, Aziz Olajari, Ojalari, uh, that dude's probably going pretty high. <laughs> so, so, so you see when you, when you start drilling it down with, with different classes, with the team rankings, this is my point. Uh, it's not always set in stone. I mean, I don't think anybody would argue that the Georgia Bulldogs are not an exceptionally talented group, exceptionally. Uh, but I also think this, that, you know, there are times when they get outsmarted in their own state. Uh, and, and Auburn's done it to them for years. Uh, and if you're South Carolina, uh, you know, you've, you've, you've picked off a couple. Um, J.J. Anigbare, which Georgia actually wanted, uh, may be the next guy. Uh, but that number to me, five of the six, right? And it wasn't, you know, here's where they all went. Clemson, and obviously Clemson won a battle for Lawrence. Uh, South Carolina with J.C. Horn, no Georgia offer. Justin Fields did have a Georgia offer, went to Georgia and transferred. Um, the kid Davis from from the linebacker from Kentucky, 19th overall pick, three-star kid from Georgia, developed him. Um, the 27th pick was Rashad Bateman, who South Carolina tried to flip for Minnesota out of Tiff County. Boy, that, that could have changed the game for them, right? I don't think anybody realized how good. I think everybody thought he was really good. I don't think they realized how good. But he was a low four-star guy. Probably definitely. That, that's one of those guys that you, when you're evaluating, you probably just need to look past the fact he's going to Minnesota and say, this guy's really good and stick it on the table. Uh, and then Eric Stokes, their kid that they got out of Covington as a three-star guy who's a really good player. Um, so, so that just shows you, you know, and, and I say this all the time, when you're recruiting Georgia, it's about getting the right guys. And and no school really always does that. You know, you, you've got your Minnesotas and Kentuckys and South Carolinas that come in there and churn out NFL guys. And then you got four or five guys that are from Georgia that go to Georgia that don't pan out. Um. That said, it was kind of a weird year. You know, Georgia led the way with six. Then you got Louisiana, Texas, California with three each. Florida had four, so that was number two. So ten of the – almost a third of the draft came from Florida and Georgia. Um, Pennsylvania with two. Utah with two. Uh, and then one each for Minnesota. You had a Minnesota and Utah. Uh, two Utahs and a Minnesota in the top ten picks. Wow. Um, Oklahoma had one. That was the two-star kid that went to Tulsa and became a linebacker. Oklahoma's another state that it's kind of like Louisiana, uh, not as deep, but you can go dig for for guys there and sometimes come out with a gym. Alabama had one. That was Kadarius Tony, who actually went to Florida. Rhode Island had one. Best story of the draft. That kid from uh, originally from Liberia was in a risk refugee camp. Moved to Rhode Island. Uh, this is the first time I can remember Rhode Island producing a, a first-round pick. Ended up signing with Michigan and, and being a, a, the first-round draft pick in the Indianapolis Colts. So, so really good, uh, really good pick, I, I think, by the Colts and good story and pick. You know, some of these stories, Quiddy Pay is his name. Uh, some of these stories with the draft, you're just like, oh, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and there are some good ones. This one took the cake. Uh, Kirk Herbstreet and those guys were tearing up on the stage. I mean, that, that that's just a heck of a story. And that, that guy got there uh, sort of during this time where I think the value of hard work and overcoming odds uh, has diminished a bit in our society. Uh, I think that's a guy you can kind of look toward and, um, you know, going to go take care of his mom. And, you know, he's been through more than any of us uh, here in this country have been through. And that's not to diminish anyone's story because I know people have been through a lot. But, you know, how many of you have been in a ref refugee camp? <laughs> Raise your hands and live there, you know, with your family. So that, that was just a tremendous, tremendous fall. I'm going to pull for this guy. I'm not a Colts fan, certainly not a Michigan fan. But uh, I'm going to pull for this guy. Uh, but three-star kid out of Rhode Island. So, I mean, Rhode Island, North Carolina's player was Caleb Farley, who went to Virginia Tech. South Carolina recruited him. 
And there was just – it was just weird because he, he kept saying he's going to visit. Then they wanted him badly. Went to Virginia Tech um, and was a first-rounder after – Virginia Tech had two first-round picks, both three-star guys. Uh, Maryland was where there's what the Illinois uh, produced a first round pick, the corner from Northwestern. Northwestern had two first rounders. Um, you know, then New Jersey won and Washington won. A uh, kid from New Jersey came from Penn State. Washington, three star defensive end from the state of Washington, went to UW that was kind of a pass rusher guy, but sort of an interesting draft. And, you know, I need to go back and look at last year's draft too. Um, of the star ratings, you're still batting pretty good with the five stars, seven five stars in the first round, 10 four stars in the first round, 13 three stars, and two two stars. Um, so roughly half the draft, again, is three stars. And what that means is is that there's a select group, and, and it's, usually, it's usually half and half, four or five stars or half of it, and then half of it are three and two stars. That means that, you know, you got to find needles in a haystack with three-star talent. Um, and that's tough to do because, you know, Northwestern put multiple three-stars in the in the first round of the draft. I don't know that anybody else did that as far as colleges go. Um, so they, they win kind of the evaluation. Oh, I'm sorry, Virginia Tech, I just said it. So Virginia Tech and Northwestern win kind of the evaluation derby this year. But uh, – you know, that's just kind of how it is. And uh, we'll continue to track the draft and get more data. Usually it's usually pretty good to look at the top, you know, hundred picks uh, and then break that down. Cause that's an easy percentage. Um, so I'll continue to track that for you. I you know, hope I didn't get too lost in the weeds with the, all that baseball seven thirty tonight at Ole Miss big series. They're all going to be big from here on out. Um, Gamecocks responded with a 9-5 win over Citadel this week. I hope that, you know, the Friday night, our first game woes maybe get solved. Uh, but we'll be following that and certainly talk about that next week. So you got the mailbag. And Tom tweets in, big Braves fan, which he should be. Do you still believe Amari and Brown will be as good or better than Shy Smith? I think he's got a chance. Um, I am very high on Shy Smith. Uh, I said I think he's at least Shy Smith production-wise, and so far in his career he has been. Um, I didn't know he would be a small, you know, because Shy Shy's about one ninety. And 5'11. Amarian's like 5'10, 165. But you know, look at look at Jalen Waddle. I mean, he's 5'9, 180 and making plays. And I mean, there's football's a great game. Small people can get it done. Um, I hope so. I mean, I, I said that. I, I stand by it. I, I think production wise, was shy at the same stage. They're similar. Um, the only thing looking at Amarian's tape is Whereas Shy was really good at jumping up and, and leaping and contorting his body and making the tough catches, uh, Amarian's tough catches are a little bit different. Like maybe he kind of gets under a, a little bit. Maybe he's got quick hands and snatches it. He does make some tough catches on his film. But, um, you know, that's kind of uh, the difference between the two. But it would be huge. Like if Amarian Brown – I was thinking about this today. If Amarian Brown – can give them sort of a deep threat, big play, potential guy uh, with his speed. Uh, and then maybe, you know, Jalen Brooks and Xavier Leggett, whoever can step up. And then I think Joyner is probably going to be a really solid option. You know, with Jenkins and with Bell, you know, that, that's kind of a, you know, I just listed like five or six people that can, you know, make plays in the passing game this year. So, you know, that's the hope. I was a little disappointed he was hurt and missed the spring game because I think everybody wants to get a good look at him. Uh, but unless he's gotten slower, which rarely happens, he's super fast. I mean, he, he's a guy that can take off. Um, and maybe Demir Bird should have been the, the comparison. I don't know. I, I thought 
you know, when you, when you look at shy and, and, and kind of the game guys are replacing shy, that was, you know, kind of the first comparison. Well, there, well, here comes a slot receiver that can get it done, but maybe the player to player comparison, which I hate, you know, cause everybody's different. Maybe the player to player comparison is, uh, is Demir Bird. Maybe that's it. Which Demir Bird is pretty darn good. You know, I, uh, I don't know. So we'll see with Amari and Brown, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the type of guy he is uh, and all that. So I appreciate that's the tweet in mailbag. And by the way, you, you tweet at the big spur pod or email inside the game at gmail.com. And we have a couple of these emails rocking and rolling. Um, here we go. Pulling this up. Hudson says, what's up, JC. Awesome to see J.C. Horn go before any other defensive player in the draft this year. Yeah, that's true. He he was the first defensive player taken, not just defensive back, defensive player. Um, Do you think there's been another player drafted higher or in a similar position from such an awful team defense? It still blows my mind how bad we were defensively as a whole last year. I mean, I don't know. You know, it it, it – <laughs> I don't know, you know, because obviously he opted out. And one of the better defensive performances of the year, maybe the best one besides Vanderbilt, if you want to get right down to it, was the Missouri game the next week. They held them to 17 and shut them out in the second half. And then people started getting hurt again and blah, blah. Um, You know, I, I'm sure there's – individual players that have gotten drafted off of bad teams. I mean, Don Terry Poe, uh, defensive tackle out of Memphis, the one to the, I think the Chiefs in the first round, top ten, you know, that defense wasn't that good uh, at Memphis. I don't know statistically how it uh, stacks up, but that's, you know, that that's one example of it. But I, I – it blows my mind too because – there was just something missing, you know, and it wasn't, I know they had issues at linebacker uh, as players kept getting hurt, but, but you still had a, a guy they're talking about going in the second or third round and Ernest Jones at linebacker. I mean, goodness gracious. Did you, was, was there nobody else? I mean, uh, you know, Jamie Robinson was at safety. I know RJ Roderick struggled last year. It was kind of the weak link at times, but you know, that, that still shouldn't have led to 159 points in three games. I mean, uh, that, that's the reality. Against three SEC West teams, South Carolina gave up 159 points in three games, and that, those were must champs last three games. Uh, and that was with Horn and those guys. So, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have the answer. I just I just know this about this year's secondary. People can talk about like the question marks all they want and you know some of these guys aren't proven. But but I think team defense wise, I mean, it can't get any worse. I mean, it can be the same. I mean, I, I hope not. I think everybody hopes not. But I mean, it, it, <laughs> that was just bad. I mean, you know, the, the Lane Kiffin uh, clipboard toss will live in infamy, and that was just an ugly, ugly defensive play, you know. So, I don't, I don't know what it was, uh, as far as the defense last year. You know, I know that what I was told was linebacker was a big issue outside of Ernest Jones, and that you know, the front probably didn't play as well as it could have. And, and they had guys, you know, especially I, I don't know, there was a lot of different, it's a new day, but uh. Yeah, and and I, I don't think J.C. Horn is going to be the last member of this defense from last year that gets drafted. Uh, again, I've said it many times. I've got some connections at Florida State, and they think Jamie Robinson's the best player on their team, like best overall player. You know, so you know if he has a great year down there, he's going pretty high. Um, you know, McQuamu's probably getting drafted. Uh, John Dixon. Uh, who's at Penn State now? I have, I think, has a good shot at, at getting drafted somewhere if he if he does what he's supposed to at Penn State, and you know they think he's probably going to be pretty good. Uh, you know, Cam Smith is probably a guy that could end up getting drafted, who also played some. Uh, you know, R.J. Roderick would have to have a revolutionary year to get drafted, but you know, hey, the new staff likes him, 
and thinks he could be a good player. And, you know, Torian Gray is not somebody I would ever debate on defensive back. So, I mean, yeah, you, 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 you th- this may be a storyline for the ages where, you know, this defense that gave up 159 points in three games has a ton of NFL talent on it, and you're, you're scratching your head. Um, and, you know, I don't know who could put their finger on why. My, my opinion is, number one, it was a year where all defenses struggled to a certain extent. They shouldn't have struggled that bad, 159 points and, you know, three games. <laughs> that should not have happened. Uh, and number two, I, I've always, I always thought that, and a lot of people brought this up, the, the Muschamp defense probably was not – because you, you, Carolina never got great on defense during the era, during the Muschamp era. I, I think they were pretty good in 2017. I think they took a step back in 2018 and then everybody got hurt. I think in 2019 they showed some signs of life in certain games. And then 2020 the bottom fell out. So he never got there on defense like everybody expected, which is weird. Um, Because you sort of expected, well, even if they struggle on offense, just like at Florida, that defense is going to be elite and – it just just wasn't. It never got there. I mean, probably they have elite elite talent, elite moments. You know, I think twenty nineteen at Georgia is a, is an example of it. I think all the turnovers against Auburn were examples of it. I think Kentucky, uh, which didn't have a quarterback at the time coming in, you know, Carolina's defense pretty much dominated that one. But uh, you know, there were moments, but you never got there. I mean, uh, if, if you sat there and talked about. Who had a better run on defense, Tyrone Nix or Will Muschamp? I, I, I think despite the fact in 07, Tyrone Nix's defense gave up rushing yards and droves, and he ended up, you know, going to Ole Miss and, and kind of a parting of ways. You know, there were some games that Tyrone Nix's defense looked much better than, than any defense Will Muschamp's had at South Carolina. Um, same with Ellis Johnson, you know, so same with Charlie Strong. I mean, you could even throw Rick Mentors one year in there to a certain extent. Uh, it, it's just it just never became the Gamecock defense that this program's used to. And and here's a secret: South Carolina's never been good, like really good. Their best years, they've had great defenses. You know, in their best years, South Carolina's you know the South Carolina teams that have gone up and down the field on people offensively. Or like the '95 team, which went four, six, and one with Tanny Hill and Brad Scott, and they just had no defense that year. Uh, and then like the 2014 team, which you know, had they had a defense, they probably would have won the East, but they didn't. They kept blowing leads, but but that offense was certainly special. So I don't know. You know, you kind of look at it, and it's like you know, as a program, every program has a DNA, and that DNA can always change and evolve over time. I mean, you know, you look up the road and, and, and Clemson's no, you know, it, it, when Clemson was great in the eighties, they were an option ground-based team running the football, all that. Uh, Clemson still runs the football. It's just different now. Uh, and, and they're a lot more pass happy than they were. Um, so the DNAs do change over time, but, but the bottom line is this South Carolina as a program has never been good without a defense. Never. You know, uh, like really good. You know, they've they've had some okay teams. You know, twenty fourteen, like I mentioned. Uh, I think twenty eighteen. You could probably say that was more of an offensive football team because of all the injuries down, and, and they made a bowl. But you know, the really good ones, the ones everybody you know wants to go back to. I mean, th- those guys were all good on defense, and there's a lot of defensive players in Carolina's footprint, as we are seeing with these guys that are going to get drafted. Which makes you wonder why couldn't you play better team defense? I mean, and, and look, I, I understand it was a COVID year last year. There were some really talented defenses that gave up some more points than they usually do. Uh, nobody was really all that great defensively, but 159 in three games—that's rock bottom, folks. That's rock bottom, and you know, coaching change was made so. So there we go. But Hudson, thanks for the email again. Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. If you email us, I will 
I will do. Oh, some game-changing news from women's basketball. I want to mention this just because I know that we got some of you out there that, that are into the sport. Some of you are not, but this won't this won't take very long. Um, the uh, Gamecocks got an elite transfer. Camilla Cardoso. She's 6'7". She's from Monte Claros, Brazil. Um, she signed an agreement with the Gamecocks. She was the 2021 ACC Freshman of the Year and Co-Defender of the Year at Syracuse. And she'll have as many as four seasons remaining. Uh, 13.6 points, eight rebounds, 2.7 blocks. First team all ACC, not just freshmen. Uh, coming to town. And so she returns, she get, joins the roster that returns 11 players from the final four team while adding Santa Fagan, Bree Hall, Raven Johnson, and Sonia Rivers. I mean, th- this is getting, you know, crazy here with, with, with the, the basketball roster, <laughs> the women's basketball roster. I don't know how you're going to, if I'm Don Staley, I think at some point you're going to wonder about minutes. I mean, that's that's going to be tough, but uh, yeah, this girl's supposed to be pretty good. Keith Allsep, former co-host of uh, of Light on the Gamecast podcast with me, and he still does it. Um, had that news for a while. He told me about it a while ago, but that's uh, that's the deal there. So that's some women's basketball news. Back to the mailbag. James said, Grayson says, curious to hear your thoughts on the away game at ECU this season. It should have never been scheduled. <laughs> that's my thought now I am happy for the Gamecock fans to, to, to have kind of a variety you know because South Carolina used to travel as well as anybody and it's hard you know once once you pass maybe the 20 year mark and you've gone the same old places and I've seen I've seen diminished crowds at Williams Bryce too from a visiting standpoint when it's not a big game you know, like Carolina didn't take very many, as many as they normally do to Georgia, you know, in 2019. And <laughs> they didn't get to witness that upset uh, because I think they thought that was going to get out of hand, et cetera. And you've been to Georgia before. Um, go back to 2018 at Ole Miss, Carolina had a large contingency uh, because it's been 10 years since they've been out there, you know, and, and that's new and fresh and exciting. Uh, that's the reason the Outback Bowls are not well. Like the one Outback Bowl Muschamp went to was the lowest crowd ever, you know, because not only was it another a, a similar destination, uh, it was a situation where they're playing a team they played just a few years ago in Michigan. Uh, and so I, I think in college football, people talk about all the time, oh, the TVs are you know, causing attendance to be down. Uh, I think with regards to the SEC and road trips and road crowds and bowl trips and things like that, it's monotony. It's monotony. And and the snaking schedule they have now where, you know, it it could be a decade before you go back to Tuscaloosa. Um, You know, that, that, that may cause you to have some pent up demand, but uh, it also kind of thinks, you know, makes it seem like, you know, the other road games, you know, you're not going to bring as big of a crowd. Um, and so I'm happy for the fans that, you know, South Carolina hadn't been to Greenville, North Carolina in what, it'll be 24 years. 1997 was the last time. Um, uh, they went up there. I think they're two and one in Greenville. They got their butt beat in 1991. But uh, one, they shut them out in 97, and then they had a big, big win. I think maybe 85 was the year that they went up to East Carolina. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, it's a good state. It's 50,000-seat stadium. Uh, it, it's a good program. They get good fan support, fun tailgating scene, uh, not a bad drive, something different, you know. So, from that standpoint, I'm happy. But I'm just kind of of the opinion that unless it's like, okay, unless it's in a city that's, like, important to you, like, like, let's say South Carolina in 10 years, once Georgia State kind of gets going, you know, they play Georgia State over there at the Turner Field Stadium uh, in Atlanta, and it's a three-for-one or something like that. And, you know, you go to Atlanta one weekend and, you know, probably beat up on them and have 20,000 fans in the stands. Um, something like that. 
I'm just not a fan of SEC programs playing at group of five schools. And I know it happens. I mean, Alabama's doing it. And, and see, so Alabama, they're going to play at USF in Tampa uh, at Raymond James, which is, you know, think about how many Bama fans are going to be there. Uh, and then they get two games against USF at home. And, and I think that's a, fa- that's a fair trade, doing something like that, doing a two-for-one or whatever, uh, you know, in, in a spot that's important to you. Now, you know, <laughs> Greenville, North Carolina, yeah, Carolina recruits Eastern North Carolina, but, I mean, I, I don't know that that moves the needle. Um, even the UCF road game, uh, you know, Carolina wants exposure in Orlando. They can go the uh, they've got the Capital One Bowl. They actually went to Orlando twice that year in 2013. Good crowd both times. Um, so so I and I, I certainly don't like them going to App State. I think that's that's one that should have never been scheduled. So who to blame it on? Um, I don't know that blame is a good thing, but uh, I'll just tell you schedule. This is. This away game at East Carolina is left over from the Spurrier and Hyman era. Charles Waddell uh, was the guy that, that did it. and I mean, look, there, there was a different sort of doctrine about scheduling, and, and it changes from coach to coach and AD to AD. Uh, App State was scheduled during the Tanner era. Uh, and, look, you know, that game's not until 2025. Gamecocks have – you know, the, the Chick-fil-A kickoff that year, too, against Virginia Tech. And then I think they play Coastal that season as well. Um, so going up to App State, I mean, Miami went up there, you know. I just uh, – stadiums under 30,000 or right at 30,000. I mean, I don't, I, don't, or I don't know that you play those. I mean, I, you know, I'm just – you know. Now, look, you want to go to Tulane – and play Tulane twice in Columbia and once in New Orleans because your fans like to go to New Orleans and it's good exposure, by all means. You know, you, you want to play UNLV, you know, home and away, you know, three for one, great. I think going out there and playing UNLV and Raiders Stadium would be a nice road trip for Gamecock fans. I mean, but – you have to get something out of it and you, you got to either make it like desirable destination, uh, preferably in a recruiting place you want to recruit um, or you just don't do it. And I don't think the Greenville and Boone remove the needle. I mean, why not just schedule a home and home with an ACC like Wake Forest and you know, go to Winston-Salem? I, I just, you know, I've never been a fan of it, but the good news is, is it's not happening uh, often anymore. I mean, you, you know the games on the schedule in the future. They got a home and home of Virginia Tech uh, about five, six years after 2025. Uh, 2026, 2027, there's a home and home with Miami. You want to talk about a great destination? <laughs> That's going to be a great destination. Going down to Hard Rock Stadium and playing the Hurricanes. Maybe they'll be back by then. That may not be easy. Uh, and then, you know, you, you've got uh, – Another Big 12 opponent coming up, West Virginia, uh, is who it's likely going to be. They play home and home with the Mountaineers in Morgantown. I mean, I like that. Those make sense. I, I was never a fan of going to UCF. Um, the Gamecocks, that was a big win for Carolina that year. I think this is the only team that beat UCF, uh, beat them down there. But I wasn't a fan of scheduling that. I mean, that could have that could have ruined that season before it even got going now that team ended up ruining its own season by losing at Tennessee late, but you know, that, that, that could have, I mean, ridiculous. <laughs> I could have gotten ridiculous, you know, um, just like the app thing, you know, may, may get ridiculous. I, I, I don't mind scheduling app state, you know, you shouldn't run from them, but I don't know about going to Boone and you, you know what? Clemson doesn't do it. You know, when's the last time – all right, Clemson during their national championship year, I know, played at Tulane. You know, <laughs> now Clemson, they, because they're in the ACC, they have to play at Wake every other year, and they have to play at Duke sometimes. So, I guess that's similar. But but Clemson – you don't see Clemson going to East Carolina or, or UCF. You know, come on. You know. But anyway, he goes on and says, I would like to hear your thoughts on playing UNC – 
in a few years than the general games when we open in Charlotte. Seems we never play well there. Well, that's not entirely true. It started out really good. Um, now, I don't know, you know, 2011, that was, that was a big high-scoring game, but they beat East Carolina 56-37 comfortably. Uh, the next game was NC State, uh, I believe. In um, 2017. No, no. I'm sorry. Let me back up. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. It was 2015 against the Tar Heels in Charlotte. And the Gamecocks had no business winning now because UNC ended up winning 10 games that year. And Gamecocks won three. But Skymore had some great plays. And Carolina survived 17-13. So that was a pretty nice win. Uh, and then against NC State, they got outgained by 300 yards, but still won 35-28. Great plays by Jake Bentley and Debo Samuel and Brian Edwards and Rico Dowdle and all those guys. That was one of the biggest wins of the Muschamp era because that NC State team had, I think, seven draft picks on it, NFL draft picks. So it started great. Then you go to the butt bowl against Virginia, and that was horrible. Now, historically, Virginia has always played well at Bank of America Stadium, so maybe maybe you think that's that. And then you come back to Open 2019, and you're up 20 to 9. Jake Bentley throws a nice pass to Kyle Markway for a touchdown. You're up 20 to 9, and you just can't get it done, and you blow it. And that, as much as that Florida game the previous year was the beginning of the end, I think that UNC loss started the clock. You know, and and even a win over Georgia later that year couldn't couldn't really reverse the downward spiral. So they don't. So 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 five games that they haven't played well there the last two, but in five games they've they've had three pretty good wins, three and two, and you know hopefully they can reverse that course. Now I know a lot of people aren't fans of the Charlotte opener, um, and I think that's going away. I wouldn't be surprised to see another North Carolina in Charlotte on the schedule down the road. But and and look and hopefully you know I think that people look at the NC State and UNC games all wrong because you know South Carolina is this SEC program you feel superior as you should have because you hadn't lost you hadn't lost to a team from North Carolina since 99. Um, and so they turn their nose up to it and say, well, we're not going to Charlotte because blah. Um, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with like how you perceive your opponent. Now, in 2023, most likely, UNC is going to be kind of on a roll. Um, Mac, Mac Brown will probably still be coaching there. They've recruited well. they got like a lot of good young players, especially on defense. And at that point, too, South Carolina is going to be heading in the right direction. So that's going to be a time to kind of redeem showing up in Charlotte, uh, unless they're dumb and put it at 5 o'clock on a Tuesday like they did a few years ago, or 5 o'clock on a Thursday. On a work day in downtown Charlotte, that was that was rich. Uh, don't do that. But, uh, you know, and so I think Gamecocks will come in droves at that point. Um and I think you'll see when Clemson plays Georgia this year up there that, you know, they're both going to bring it. But that's two top five teams, you know. So maybe by the time they play UNC again, they'll both be ranked and, and all that. I, I don't think playing East Carolina there does anything for anybody. Um, uh, NC State's on the schedule, I think, in 2027 and 2028 or something like that. But it's a home and home in Raleigh, so so I, I could see I could see a UNC game popping up or something in Charlotte moving forward. But you know they've been really focused on getting that game in Atlanta rolling, and that's good as a neutral site game. You know I, I think the Orlando neutral site games are attractive just for something different. Um, it wouldn't wouldn't shock me to see you know it pop up and you play UNC there at Bank of America at some point. Also, wouldn't shock me to see a home and home Chapel Hill and Columbia. Uh, because that's sort of where it's moving to, and I know that the 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 Bank of America people, they're the belt kickoff people, as it will. Or maybe it's a, is that the Duke's mayonnaise kickoff people now? Uh, I know they schedule Tennessee and West Virginia coming up. 
um, in a couple of years. And they, they like schools like Virginia. You can play Virginia Tech, East Carolina there or whatever. Other schools don't have sort of this aversion to Charlotte like the Gamecocks do. But I also understand the schedule kind of got boring and saturated. And, you know, I, I guarantee you that the Gamecock fans with some of these home-and-homes coming up are going to show up strong on the road. Uh, I think big crowd to Coral Gables, big crowd to Raleigh, big crowd to Blacksburg. Hopefully I'm still around by then because <laughs> that's a long time from now. Uh, that game in Atlanta in 2025 is going to sell out. I think they'll bring a big crowd down. I'm hoping App State puts in temporary bleachers for that game uh, because that's fun. I mean, that's a fun trip going up to Boone and tailgating and all that. You know, it's kind of different. I would Again, I wouldn't have scheduled it. But for fans, you know, for those of you that love to go to the games, go to road games, heck, that, that's good. So, anyway, so good good thoughts on the schedule, Grayson. I appreciate that. All right, heading into the weekend, folks. Uh, Braden Davis, obviously, is going to commit. Gamecocks are somewhat confident, have not. Let, before I sign off here, I'm going to make sure there's no crystal ball. Latest crystal ball. Nope, the latest crystal ball is for Jaden Lucas to Clemson. That's the kid from Malden, a five-star guy, probably to be expected. So we'll kind of see what happens moving forward. I am J.C. Sherbert. Please be sure, send in your mailbag questions. Go uh, at the Big Spur Pod for uh, your questions on Twitter. And then you can rock and roll uh, inside the Gamecast at gmail.com. Um, and uh, – I'll answer them. I'll answer them. Everyone have a great weekend. Uh, should be a weekend to celebrate with more Gamecocks getting drafted and a big baseball series. And then the month of May will be upon us. And uh, that's going to be kind of a slow month in terms of uh, recruiting because they can't go. It's you're normally busy because they're normally on the road. But uh, we'll find something to talk about. Maybe we'll start digging in previews, stuff like that. Uh, in May to, to get things rolling, but uh, it's always going to be fun uh, here to talk about the Gamecocks on Inside the Gamecocks podcast. I'm JC Sherbert. Everybody have a wonderful weekend.